Welcome to the PK Experience. My name is Peter King, and I'm the host of the show. And today I sit down with Brian Ward, who is the creator and founder of Third Way Man. Third Way Man is a movement, really, that helps reignite men's souls, helps them get back on track so that they can make an impact in their life and in their communities, in their families. And uh, Brian's, Brian's stuff it just jumps off of the screen. It jumps off of the page. His words are so inspirational. I highly recommend him if you're a man that's looking to level up your life. Um, in this call, we talk about Brian's entrepreneurial background, some of the stuff that he's done as a business owner. He sold uh, his business for millions of dollars and is now dedicating his life to helping men um, make an impact. And we also talk about how men today should and can be relating to the modern woman. We also talk about how to raise sons in a way that is more impactful for them with uh, with respect to you know, their path to becoming a man, uh, an evolved man as well. So, uh, we talk about this and a whole bunch more in this episode. Enjoy. All right, Brian Ward, thank you so much for, uh, taking some time today to be on the call. I'm excited to have you. There's, uh, I have a million questions that I, I want to talk to you about, but again, just first and foremost, thanks for carving out some time. I know you're pretty busy right now with a, a recent product launch. Oh, you bet. Glad to be here. Um, so I, I came across your stuff online, uh, as I think most people have, which is via Facebook. You've done a lot of advertising on Facebook, um, and the the copy really sort of jumped out at me. But before we dive into some of that, I, for the listeners, why don't you tell them a little bit about who you are and what you're doing with Third Way Man? Sure. So again, Brian Ward, uh, founder of Third Way Man. I've been involved in online business, um, advertising, marketing, uh, copywriting, writing uh, for a number of years. And Third Way Man really was the culmination of all of that in combination with my uh, experience as a husband and father. And I saw a, a big gap, not only in the marketplace, but in our culture for a way of talking about masculinity, committed masculinity, um, in addressing some of the concerns and the experiences that dads tend to have that there's really not a uh, authentic discourse about in the in the public area and so is out of a desire to um, to really create the sorts of conversations and and support that I would love to have 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 had myself as a customer not experiencing that going out into the marketplace and looking to create that and fill that gap mm -hmm. yeah I, I mean I find that it's such a um it's such a void in our culture today to like, what is real masculinity? What is a real, what does it take to be a real man? And, you know, I, I wanted to get your feedback a little bit on that. Well, first and foremost, how do you define what makes a man? Well, I, I go back to the, to the name of the brand, you know, third way man. I think a lot of us as men feel like we've been raised in a culture that dumbs everything down where the options, not just of what products to buy, but even how to be at the core level gets dumbed down to option A or option B. You know, you're the, you're the asshole or you're the coward. You know, we have these very um, kind of polarized options. Whereas the third way man mentality is that there's always, uh, there's always an option C. And really that's that gray area where you create something that is different, where you harness your own insights and your own lived experience to create out to create a uh, a full dimension of what masculinity looks like uh, again not resorting to these dumbed down uh, stereotypes that uh, we tend to get handed to when we're young boys but just don't satisfy that are too uh, shallow and not rich enough to really carry us 
uh, to let us go the distance. Yeah, uh, on your About Us page, you take that one step further to explain that the asshole is really, um, I forget exactly what you said, it's it's uh, no love but all, what was it, all strength, no love? I think it was. Right, yep, yeah, high strength, low love. High strength, low love, whereas the coward is high love, low strength. And the yep. third way, man, really being the culmination of both high love and high strength. Exactly, you know, you see it all the time, whether it's, with geopolitical conflicts or even just trends within culture, you tend to have pendulum swings where you have, uh, in the case of masculinity, you know, you've had a period where man was on top, where man called the shots and living out that very, what's often called patriarchy, uh, living that out um, created a lot of fallout and a lot of blowback that our generation of men has dealt with and been taught is bad. And so our response has been to go from that first way of masculinity into what I would call the second way, where it's an overcorrection, where it's like, oh, I, I've got to, I can't be strong, I can't be uh, courageous, I have to kowtow, I have to placate, I have to do all these things, and then we wake up and we say, why do we feel uh, so disconnected from that power that we know is in there, but we haven't given ourselves permission to employ? So the third way man says, look, you know, these are all, these overcorrections can go, you know, on and on for generations. How do you take the best elements of each of those? Because there's always going to be moments where we need to dig in and be that first way man, where we need to let blood flow, protect our families, and that's a good thing. But you don't want to always live in that state because that's not productive. You're not going to end up creating things that last if you're always defaulting to burn shit down mode, if yes. that makes sense. Yeah, oh, 100% it makes sense. How do you think that we got here? Like I said, I think we've had some major shifts culturally, and there's been some good things that have happened from that. Obviously, uh, there needs to be equality of opportunity and all these other things that women have won um, through some enlightenment and some emancipation and enlightened thinking of our culture. But as is so often the case, there, there are unintended consequences. And there are uh, situations where once there's a certain base of control, that is enjoyed, that that power and that control can often turn and be applied in ways that the original founders of those movements never intended. And I think that's what you have right now. You've got a lot of uh, man hate and you've got a lot of uh, male guilt by association that uh, is not warranted. It's unproductive and it's uh, a case of uh, overreach on the part of some of these groups that have sought for equality and have gone beyond uh, a healthy measure of that. Not in the sense that there's a certain level where equality is no, not healthy, but they've gone beyond the basic project and sought to um, to actually denigrate men as opposed to simply elevate women. Yes, I, I, I have seen that to be the case too, where I, I feel like instinctually some people, if they've dealt with one extreme, and not even just with masculinity per se, but in any, with you know, in any regard, and I've, I've seen this play out in psychology where if somebody deals with one extreme and the pendulum has swung all the way, say, to the left of whatever that issue is, that, that the instinct is, oh, balance equals, let me swing it all the way over to the right because it, yep. it feels super empty, so let me fill that up, you know, by going all the way to the right, whereas true balance is actually in the middle. And it's hard, I think it's hard for some, you know, for some people who have dealt with traumatic experience or whatever to feel to stop in the middle because it, it doesn't seem to satisfy the the longing and the void that they've experienced in their in their you know earlier experience um 
so I, de I definitely see that that culture swing and I you know I sort of have a theory too I'd be curious to hear what you think about this that you know obviously we have we have the, the women's uh, rights movement um, and women empowerment um, you have sexual liberation you know women now I mean that has fundamentally changed the dynamic of relating within very recent history I mean we're talking about a handful of decades uh, as opposed to you know hundreds of thousands of years of evolved history where now women can can you know have sex in a recreative space and not be thinking about it in terms of only procreating I mean that's really changed on you know one level how men and women relate but that's just one issue um, I think another really big issue this is again a theory of mine is that, that I think we're still sort of feeling aftershocks, if you will, from World War II, when all of our, you know, we call it the greatest generation, a lot of those men went over, they either got killed or they came home and they just weren't the same psychologically, mentally. And so we see a lot of the baby boomers that grew up that were ready to change the game. You know, like they didn't, for whatever reason, they were ready to swing the pendulum a different direction. Um, so I, I still kind of feel like we're dealing with even aftershocks from something that impactful that happened, you know, 50, 60 years ago. Um, so anyway, I, I definitely see that, that culture need to speak more into that masculinity space. How do you respond to um, the people that do talk about the patriarchy that say that this, you know, that men are the problem, like, and, and here you are trying to evoke more masculinity when they're saying, no, masculinity is, is toxic. Masculinity is the problem. How do you respond to that? Well, I, I think it's bullshit. You know, I think patriarchy is in need of being reclaimed. I think it's a beautiful thing when you have a strong leader that, uh, like I said, exhibits third way man qualities where he's leading with both strength and love. I think first off, a lot of the reasons that that gets criticism is we don't have many examples of uh, a man who has taken the freedom for himself to live that out. You know, you end up having these dumbed down, uh, one dimensional ways of being men where they revert to uh, a very patriarchal um, uh, sort of um, anti misogynistic kind of throwback response to feminism. Or you have a man that feels like he needs to appease and apologize and he takes that second way approach. Um, you know, a lot of times if someone has gone through a bitter divorce or there's custody battles, um, you know, it's politically, it's very, it's a very complicated, um, very uh, costly time to be a man. And I think a lot of men understandably revert back to the first way. They discover that that second way they've lived out since they were boys has not served them well. And they've, all they've done was triggered, you know, scorn and uh, incurred cost from their female relationships and so they're pissed off and they revert back to more of a first way man uh, masculinity. But again, if you can realize that both of those are dimensions that a third way man has to embody at different times and have a more integrated approach between those two rather than going again in that extreme pendulum swing, I think that's the real opportunity uh, to have a better experience, a more powerful, effective life as a man but it's also good for our women too, because men, you know, quite often women may say or or been have been told that they want a certain kind of man. They get that, and there's something missing. That spark is gone. That polarity, that chemistry is gone. Because as you said, we're the products of however many years of of evolution, and we do not um, we do not find attraction or chemistry or even a productive working relationship 
when the, that masculinity and that femininity are not combined and paired in the way that we're designed to be paired. Yeah, I, I always laugh when I hear women say, oh, you know, I just can't find a man because they're so intimidated by my, you know, by my strength. Or I'm like, you know, do you have any idea that men grow up around testosterone and competition and strength and hierarchy and, you know, the desire to one up each other? Like the idea that a, a woman's going to step into that and we're going to feel intimidated by it if we're in our natural strength is is ludicrous. It's like, no, we're not intimidated mm -hmm. by it. It's just not attractive. It's just yep. not attractive. Now, be strong. Be a leader. Like, go forge, you know, your path. I, I have no problem with that. But if a woman doesn't know how to shift into her femininity and be open and receiving and, and you know, always feminine, then, then yeah, you're going to lose that polarity. You're going to lose that, lose that attraction. Much in the same way that I think a lot of women are going, man, there's a lot of guys that are you know, just, they're too nice. They, there's no edge mm -hmm. to them. There's no fire within. So you actually on uh, thirdwayman.com, your website, you have a product called Lit, which uh, the subtitle it is, I believe, uh, how to get your soul back, correct? Mm -hmm. how, yep. how does a man get his soul back? So there's a, there's a few parts to it. I think to, to break it down, you know, you've got to engineer a life that allows you to win. You know, so many men, they don't have any places where they win, right? They're, they're not succeeding financially. They're not succeeding um, emotionally, relationally, uh, physically. You've got to figure out some ways to create wins because as men, we are competitive. We are wired for not just challenge, but overcoming challenges. And in a lot of ways, the decks do feel stacked against us, like we mentioned before, politically, culturally, it is complicated and financially dangerous in many ways to be a man today. And so you've got to figure out some ways to engineer wins in your life. Secondly, you've got to pay attention to your capacity. So often we will uh, go right to redline in terms of our, uh, you know, shutting, uh, having short hours of sleep, a poor diet, and there's this go, go, go mentality and it's, it's not sexy in many ways. It sounds too basic, but as is often the case, the fundamentals of uh, good sleep, good nutrition, exercise, um, giving yourself uh, built-in times for adventure and renewal, those things, I mean, you talk to any, any dad who's got young kids, especially underfoot, and you know, maybe one times out of 10 will you find someone that actually invests in their capacity for greatness by taking care of that basic biology. Um, so those, that'd be the second thing. And then third is realizing that just because you're a dad, that doesn't mean you get a pass on making your dent in the universe. You know, so often men will actually use being a family man as an excuse to not go out there and try to kick ass to figure out what were they put on this planet to do. And that's, that's the complete opposite of what you need at your core level, but also what your family needs, because it's it's pursuing what you were made to do that allows you to create the resources that allow you to have that life for yourself and your family that you want to provide them with. Okay, your kids, they, they don't want to be your excuse. They want to be your inspiration, right? Yes. And, and too many fathers end up using their kids and their, their uh, fatherly duties as an excuse for not going for it. I 100% agree. I hear a lot of a lot of guys say that their purpose is their family, and I'm like, I get it. I mean, I, obviously, there's nothing more important to me than my children, but at the same time, uh, 
is that what I was put on this planet to do? And, you know, I, <clears throat> I remember a time in my life not too long ago where I was miserable and lethargic and had no inspiration. My, my sense of ambition and vision had sort of deteriorated. Um, I didn't really know where I was going, and it took all of the energy that I had to feel metaphorically like I was just staying above water. Um, what advice do you have for the guy that's out there who, who is a dad, he's got the job that he probably doesn't love, he's probably not waking up super thrilled and inspired to go to work, he's got kids, he's, you know, he's got a, a wife, he's got mouths to feed, he probably is already feeling like everything that you just said sounded like a lot. So yeah. I remember being in that space going, I, I'm, I'm at bare minimum level, barely keeping up my head above water. And, and I'm hearing from people like yourself or whoever else that I need to do nth degree more. And I, it, it just becomes overwhelming. Mm -hmm. What's your advice in that respect? Yeah. So we don't live in an age anymore where our work entails us going out into the field moving rocks around you know it's not typically it's not labor intensive we have we live in an age of leverage so we have the opportunity to leverage uh, teams you know technology uh, investments to move the needle without having to put in you know the 80 hour work weeks that you're referring to that a lot of people feel like they've got to do if they're going to hustle and grind and really make something work and as dads especially if you are the breadwinner and you've got um, the mortgage payment and everything else riding on your day job but yeah, you, you don't want to burn the ships. You know, there, it's it feels great to say burn the ships, but that's that often leads to as often as not starving on the beach as it does in having your conquest. Mm -hmm. So I think first and foremost, saying what is it that I am uniquely good at, and drilling down on that um, and practicing that in very small doses. I talk about a concept I call micro commitments in the lit black paper, which is basically the idea that. You don't have to spend, you know, three, four hours a day on your craft or building your, your second business or your, uh, your side gig. You can make a lot of progress in just a few minutes a day, especially if you start that way, get that habit embedded and then gradually go from there. You know, for a lot of guys, like you said, if you're coming home 637 at night, you're putting the kids to bed, you want to veg with your wife on Netflix for an hour. I mean, by the time you're, you're finished, you're wiped and you have no emotional or uh, physical capacity to do any kind of work. But if you work in three, four or five minutes a day of whatever you're really good at, of what you're really passionate about, obviously at some point you're going to have to increase your dosage. But to start, it's, it's like this wedge, right? You get that little wedge going and then you gradually build from that beachhead of activity. And as you do that, you release this momentum because these projects, these passion projects that you've put off for years, for decades, you've said, you know, when I'm older, when the kids are gone, then I'll do that thing. If you start doing that now in small form, all of a sudden you've taken something that was decades away in your mind and you've made it manifest now. You get to taste a little bit of what it's gonna be like to move the needle of that part of your life, that bucket list part of your life. And that unleashes tremendous energy and a sense of, of momentum. Yeah, I, I think too that um, with that whole idea of energy, I found it for me, for myself and my experience that um, I was, I had the brakes on. Like I'm trying to drive forward while I have my foot on the brakes and that, that um, out of, you know, being out of alignment is increasingly and, 
and exponentially energy consuming, you know? And so part of re-energizing myself was to realize where was I putting on the brakes, you know, even in my own thought, like psychologically, where I was not in alignment with who I aspired to be as a man, as a father, as a husband, as whatever, as a leader in my community, et cetera, um, as a creator, right? And what am I, what, how, what am I not meeting that I need to start meet? And I, I think you would agree with this too, that when you start to fall in alignment with who you are, what you're meant to do on the planet, et cetera, so it's energy inducing. And so mm-hmm. you can actually do more, exert more energy, uh, have more capacity, work longer hours, and actually have the action refuel you. And, and that was a dichotomy that I had to get clear in my head because, again, I was just in a state where I felt like, I'm already maxed out and I'm being asked to do, you know, considerable amount more. And it was, I was like, oh man, I, I felt like such a failure, but it was because I was grinding so much in ways that are, that were inauthentic to my soul that, you know, of course it's energy depleting when you're not being who you are. So, um, that alignment I think is key as well. Um, the other thing too, I just wanted to mention that was really helpful for me at the time was my uncle said to me one time, because I went to him and I, you know, said, Hey, I'm in this, I'm not in a very good place right now. I've got really low energy. He's like, look, you got two little kids at home. Understand you're in a stage and regardless of what your purpose is and all this other stuff, having two little kids at home can be exhausting period. I mean, on both parents, you know? So that was helpful too, for me to realize like there will be an end to this tunnel, but understand that there are various stages to, to this whole experience. So that was helpful for me as well. Um, wanted to ask you, you had mentioned a couple of times about women and how women appreciate this. How does a, how does a third way man relate to a modern woman who's empowered, educated, ambitious? What does that relationship look like? I've asked this to several of my other podcast uh, guests. I'm curious to hear what your thought is on that. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a challenging time culturally to be a man and I would say it's just as challenging culturally to be a woman and a lot of times you might look at some of our earlier conversations in this interview and conclude that you know women are on top and they've got it easy and and men are under heel and um, I would argue that's not the case I think there are uh, a huge just my alarm is going off here I think there's a just as many if not more expectations on women and all the age-old um, challenges and, and voices in the head about not being good enough or pretty enough or um, doing it all, not being the support, not being the breadwinner uh, in this new paradigm, you know, that's, there's an enormous amount of pressure on men and women. And so I think first and foremost, having uh, some tenderness and some, uh, some empathy with your wife, with your woman, and realizing that, you know, it's not as simple as saying, um, you know, this is the new paradigm and, and women have uh, the run of the roost because that's definitely not the case. In a lot of ways, it's harder because you have a lot of rights and freedoms that have been legislated, but that is not necessarily trickled down to the bedroom. You can legislate a certain reality for women, enforcing that as a different matter, but you cannot legislate the heat between a man and a woman. And so in a lot of ways, as you've said before, uh, men check out. They, they see the power dynamic having changed in many ways. They say, you know what, it's no longer worth um, courting a woman. It's no longer worth putting up with all the risks of child support and you know a court system that, that may be biased against fathers. 
And so they check out. And so all of a sudden you have good women who want to have um, a loving, mutually enriching relationship and marriage. And a good man is hard to find because it's no longer worth it for a lot of men to participate in the game. And so uh, I think, again, having that humility and realizing that uh, it's not it's not easy for women either. And that can take some of the fangs out of some of the, the sexual politics and some of the, the gender uh, wars that a lot of people find themselves in. Yeah. Um, and I think too, realizing that, that in the same way, there's not a, a simple one dimensional way to be a man. I think you have to realize too, that a relationship between a complex uh, modern day man and a complex modern day women is re- gonna require some imagination. Some, some creativity, some experimentation, and that the, you know, there's this human tendency to want to find the convenient form to slip into and say, okay, this is the formula for how you do X. And you've got to resist that. You've got to say the formulas are for people that don't want a unique, amazing life. If you want a rich, uh, uncharted life, you've got to use rich, self-created, uncharted forms to get there. And that's when you're married, obviously that's a two-way street and you've got to figure that out, not just for yourself, but help your wife create those as well and empower and free her up. Um, I think there's a lot of a lot of men who feel like their wives don't give them permission to do things they feel like they need to do. We talked about taking uh, regular time for adventure, um, for renewal. If you want to get that for yourself, you also need to extend that to your wife. You've got to give her personal getaways and figure out ways to free her up to do the things that uh, fill up her soul and really renew her at a deep level as well. Um, so those are a couple of things that come to mind. Yeah, you, you, what you just said there a second ago about um, that a lot of men feel like they don't have permission from their wives to go have a sense of adventure. I think that in and of itself is part of the issue where, yep. you know, not that it's hard to not get bottled into like this patriarchal speak or whatnot, but like, I don't think it's a man's obligation to seek permission. Obviously, you're in a partnership. Obviously, there's a give and take and there's compromise and times like that. But like a man in his true soul is has a vision, has a path. And if he's going to be adventurous and wild, like he's going to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. So I find that a lot of conversations, conversations that I have with other men is they speak in those terms like, well, my wife won't let me do that. or what. And I'm like, dude. Get your balls back. You've already lost. You've already lost. And and, yeah. and surprisingly, a number of women, even ones who are uh, aware, who are working on trying to be better partners, are still saying things like, um, you know, well, should I allow my husband to do that? Or, you know, and I'm just like, you're, you're already, yeah, failed before you begun. Um, and, and I would say this in the reciprocal way, a man doesn't allow his wife to do anything either. It's, it's a mutual, a partnership and agreement, but, but a man in his true essence, in my mind is coming with a sense of intention that is undeniable and that you obviously there's been to it, but there's, if he's in his core strength, he's not going to yield from that. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a lot of bad habits that accrue in a long term relationship and in marriage. And that's one of the biggest ones where there's been too much uh, attempt to, again, placate and to appease your partner as opposed to becoming the powerful uh, man or woman that is going to inspire and attract the other. And and to, you know, again, like you said, there's just you feel the, the power 
draining out of your body when you even mouth those words. You know, honey, can I? <laughs> as soon as the words are, you've already lost, and and you can just tell energy-wise that it's it's the exact wrong move. But to say, Friday, I'm going to be in Austin. I'm going to this river. I'm going to tear it up with my my, my bros, and um, and obviously you got to free up space for her to do the same. And if there's pushback, it's like, oh, you haven't been around. It's like, hey, this is something I've got to do. This this puts me in my best place. This makes me stronger, more resilient. This is something I need to do, not just for me, but for the health of us. And uh, I think that a lot of men just haven't had the practice or don't realize that it's okay to have those conversations or to frame it that way, where again, you're not asking permission. Obviously there's logistics involved. You have to, if you've got a lot of moving parts, you have to work with that. But that fundamental uh, posture of asking for something and, and meekly, you know, waiting for the handouts of permission from your wife. I mean, how is she supposed to be attracted to that? How is she want to, supposed to want to sleep with that? Right. And so, um, yeah, it's it's just a bad habit that a lot of men have fallen into because, again, they've been raised and taught that that's the way a man is supposed to tiptoe and appease a woman in 2018. Yeah. I, I, I find this entire dynamic very, very fascinating how it's been playing out in culture because – it seems like, at least from my humble perspective here in the Midwest, and I know things are different geographically. I've lived on the coasts as well, on the East Coast. But um, it, it just seems like there's a very tiny minority of very loud people who are saying masculinity is toxic. Masculinity, it's the asshole uh, flavor of masculinity that is wrong with the world, and we need to take steps to correct it. Whereas I feel like the majority of men are at home going, I don't think I'm an asshole. I don't want to be an asshole. So, like you said, let me let me you know shift that balance to more the coward side, more the placating. Let me do whatever, and that dynamic gets completely thrown out of whack. Um, and but but that voice of of patriarchy and that social agenda that men are assholes is so loud. I mean, I look at my I, I look at my I'm shifting a little bit in in thought here, but I look at my son and my daughter. And my daughter has so much opportunity and support and positive messaging. Um, you know, when you walk into a bookstore, there's the, you know, young girls empowerment book section. And there's these fierce looking girls on the book covers and everything. And you know what? I'm all for it. I got a daughter. I want her to kick ass. I want her, you know, I don't want her to alienate herself from her own core essence. I want her to be feminine because that's where I think she feel, feels the most free. But I'm all for empowering her. But when I go to a store, whatever, for my son... It's like who, what hero does he have to look to? You know, what what inspiration does he have? Um, I, I noted this the other day, like with the whole Star Wars thing. He could here's his options: he can be a stormtrooper, bad guy. He can be a Sith Lord, bad guy. He can look to you know the the heroines, which is great. There's good inspiration there, but he's not a girl. Like what what avenue does he say? Oh, I want to be like that. You know, we grew up with Luke Skywalker, and and I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I think some of this too is also racial. If I'm going to throw that in there a little bit, because you know, there's, a, I, I don't know where I land on all of that, but I do think that there is, there is some pushback where people say, oh, it's the, it's not just men, it's the white man, and that's something that is, I think that needs to be spoken about too. Like how, it, I, I see the same types of, um, of uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Um, depleting uh, value of masculinity and manhood across all races. I mean, if you look at 
you know, inner city black America. I mean, the, the family unit has fallen apart. There's no father figure there. And I grew up, I'm white. I grew up in a relatively affluent ass household. My father was gone. And so I feel that same level of voidance, regardless of my economic positioning, I still felt that void. Um, that actually was going to qu- be my next question to you. Is like, wh- what was your upbringing? What was your relationship like with your father? Yeah, well, great question. Let me let me first go back to what you're saying yeah, about the role models. <laughs> you know, it's great. Um, you know, it's it's enormously unproductive to spend as much energy trying to contain and stuff down shame and guilt. Yes. And that's where most men are right now, where they have so much energy that's bled out and consumed just in feeling okay about themselves or trying to get to a place where they feel okay. Defining yourself by what you're not is exhausting. And that's the position that a lot of men find themselves. And again, there's so much more power available to you if you can ignore all those scripts and all those formulas and all the the propaganda about who you are or aren't and just figure out what you want, what are you good at? What's something that you are uniquely able to impact the lives of thousands or tens of thousands or millions of people potentially doing, and then do that. And don't give a shit about what anyone else says in terms of your suitedness or not for that, or your worth or the validity of you as a leader or uh, a player in the game of life because you have all these um, accidental traits that you didn't choose. You didn't choose to be white. You didn't choose to be a male. What you're given is what you need to be who you are. And to be that without apology, if you can get to that place, there's this enormous storehouse of energy that's available inside once you can let all that shit go and just play. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing that came to mind. As far as my upbringing, you know, similar to what you described, I, um, I grew up in a a fairly quote-unquote normal family. Um, you know, I, I moved around a lot and had a chance to see a lot of different parts of the world from an early age, and I, I had a real culture of adventure that was modeled to me, um, and that's something that I, I'm grateful for. I think as as many of us who grew up in uh, kind of lower middle class America, uh, I saw a lot of things and had a lot of things that I that I loved and certain things that I wanted to be different. And um, in, in particular, wanting to live a free, kind of unconstrained, uh, ambitious life, that's not something that um, I saw modeled as, as much as I would have liked. And uh, I, I love my, my family and um, my mother and father and uh, my brothers and uh, had a rich life I wouldn't have changed in any way. But I think the process of, of growing up entails sorting, sifting and, and saying what of what I was given, do I want to keep and perpetuate in my own family, in my own legacy, and what do I want to let go of? What do I want to upgrade or do differently? And so I had that natural sifting period. You know, as you can tell, uh, you know, I don't, I don't talk a whole lot. I'm not real comfortable talking about um, about growing up in in large part because I think it's very easy to pick apart things that the parents may have done wrong uh, and to use as an excuse. And I feel that um, the the benefits and the love and the gifts that I was given far outweigh any uh, any mistakes or um, blind spots that my parents had. And so overall, you know, I, I love where I come from and uh, feel very blessed. Yeah, I think um, you know, especially now that I'm a parent, 
I obviously have a lot, a lot greater perspective for what my parents went through, <laughs> yeah. and and but specifically with my father, he's actually been on the podcast, and I don't know if you know or not, if heard it or not, but he was gone a lot of my upbringing. He was working his butt off and whatever. But um, after my mom passed on, he ended up coming out of the closet, telling us he was gay, and I had just had my son, and it was like, I, on the one hand, I hear what you're saying about how I'm not going to have a defeatist attitude. I'm not a victim. Um, I'm going to stay empowered. And yet at the same time, I also wanted to look into the darkness and go, what did I not get that I really needed and that I want to really make sure that I pay forward to my son? And and to speak more publicly about this was a challenge for me because I, I wanted to be sure that like I wasn't throwing my father under the bus. Like He did what he had yeah. to do. And, and frankly, now that I am a father and, and now that I, you know, and now that he's done, he's built an incredible legacy on his own like i have so much more respect for what he's done and what he's created but that pattern of what i call absentee fathers is prevalent across so many men across the country um and i include not just men that didn't have fathers growing up like they had single you know parent moms or whatever but literally just men that uh, who had fathers who just weren't available emotionally who weren't there that didn't put in the time and i would throw my father into that category his father was you know, they spent time together, but I don't know that he really understood, <laughs> you know, he had a gay son. Like, he didn't meet his needs either. There was an emotional gap there, an emotional void. And so, you know, what do you what do you think that we need as men to do to be better fathers for our sons? Uh, first and foremost, not to outsource key parenting experiences or key teachings. You know, our, our school system uh, is doing a deplorable job of preparing our kids for, um, for uh, the marketplace. And that's especially true when it comes to core life skills. And I think there's this habit that we often fall into that, oh, you know, someone else is going to take care of that. We live in this society where we have these clear divisions of labor. Someone else is going to take care of my son's this or my daughter's that. They're going to fill in that, that learning piece. And uh, yeah, you know, you can, you know, go that default route and the basics may be taken care of or not. But if you want your kids to live an exceptional life, if you want them to be not just equipped at the bare necessity level, but to truly have what they need to flourish, that's up to us. And especially those things that are are more subtle and that are not going to be showing up on any school curriculum. Uh, you know, um, the ability to make decisions under fire, you know, in other words, uh, hot decisions where you don't have all the time to research and do facts, collaborating, uh, consensus building, leadership, even some of these things that we do give lip service, pay lip service to. I see so few examples where those things are really taught and modeled in an effective way for our kids. So that would be a, a general answer. More specifically, you talked about boy. We talked about boys a little bit in terms of the the lack of resources or even the lack of of um, of a tradition or an acceptance of what it's like to be a boy. You know, I'd argue that that schools, you know, are really biased in terms of how they're constructed yes. to work within the psychology of of uh, our girls. They're not good for boys. You know. Um, a lot of times boys are much better off being homeschooled in my observation, especially during their elementary years, 
because they all they want to do is you know squash bugs and climb trees and build forts and if they're asked to sit down at a desk with their you know uh, hands folded and face forward that's just a recipe for failure so they they get taught from a very young age that they don't have what it takes that they're deviant that they uh, don't fit in current society whereas for girls you know it's like not so bad I get to interact with the teacher we've got you know all these other um, you know habits and um, processes that we can rely on and and I think in many ways it's more suited to how a lot of girls ending end up thinking and, and being and so to kind of reach out and save our boys you know from the system in a sense is, is a huge calling and to figure out some ways to uh, give give form and opportunity to their boyishness, to take them out on hikes, to go swimming, uh, to teach them how to carve a stick or how to make a fire. I was teaching my, uh, one of my kids the other day how to make a fire with a match. And then eventually we'll work up, we'll figure out, you know, starting with a bow drill and, you know, go through all these things that they may or may not need. But there's that meta lesson, right, of self-reliance, of problem solving in the wild. And uh, these things that translate um, to their whole life that they're just not being taught, especially in a school system that really denigrates and undermines the very fact that they're boys to begin with. Absolutely. I, the thing I try to uh, impose upon people, impress upon people is men are fire. Young boys are a flame. And when they hit puberty, that flame gets doused with gasoline. And mm -hmm. there is no containing that energy. And if you don't provide guidance and put up bumpers and, 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 and essentially a fireplace for this energy to learn and grow and experiment and, and be wild, it's like dropping that flame in a wide open dry field, you know? And, and so then you get the wildfire, which I would, I would say uh, in your speak is the asshole. Like he just burns everything down his path, does what he wants to do. It's very destructive. Or it's the converse side where he goes, I I've got this energy in me, but I, I see in culture everybody talking about how bad it is, so I'm going to repress it. And mm -hmm. I'm going to extinguish my flame and just be, you know, a placating coward. And that doesn't do anybody any good either. And it's like we need, just like you see in forest fires, you see men go out there and they fight fire with fire. You take real men who provide controlled burns, which is – I'm going to take this fierce, wild energy, but I'm going to put guardrails on it, and I'm going to apply intention and purpose to it to to reduce the destructive power of fire. Because that's the other thing, too, that I don't think culturally we look at from a masculine standpoint is there's a lot of benefit to fire. Fire provides mm -hmm. warmth. Fire provides morale upboost. Fire provides protection. It provides provision in terms of cooking and food. There's a lot of valuable – and in the forest fire case, it you know burns off what – is not working and it recreates it replenishes and it's like that whole side of masculinity is getting zero voice in our pop culture right now yeah. um and and i see what you're doing is is a huge um you know sw swing in the sledgehammer trying to make a dent in that it's something that i try to do as well um just as another personal example my son was on a soccer team and and god love him but like the coach of the soccer team was a mom which there's nothing wrong with that, but her husband was the assistant coach. And I'm like, it's one thing if the husband's off and he's working and it's like, you know, mom's available, but he was there. And I'm like, there's something wrong here. This is not, and, and 
the young boys, there was one boy in particular that was very, uh, he was overly aggressive. And her response to that, in a in no fault of her own, she was doing what a woman does often. She was reprimanding him for being too aggressive. Boys, keep calm down. You got to, and I'm like, no, he just, he needs that energy rechanneled. Like, yeah. you know, give him a challenge, set him, you know, push him a little bit farther. And, you know, that, I see that dynamic everywhere. It's very frustrating. Oh, yeah. You, you can't, don't repress. You got to redistribute. Yes. You got to take that fire, that energy, and figure out new applications for it. If you just try to shove it down, you know, that's when shit breaks. And like yes. you say, they, they hit 13, 14, 15 years old. And all hell breaks loose because they haven't, you know, they've not been taught productive ways of handling that essential fire that they've got to have, and uh, they don't have the outlets. You know, it reminds me of of this bridge that they built uh, several years ago. I used to live, uh, we used to live close to Vancouver in BC, Canada, and uh, they built a new bridge. And when I first drove across it, I saw all these vertical bars. Um, the whole length of this bridge, and I don't know how long it was, but um, you know, maybe maybe a mile. And uh, you know, I, I asked someone what that was, and it turns out they were uh, suicide bars. Mm. So there's sidewalks along both sides of this bridge, and they've got these suicide bars to prevent people from using the bridge to kill themselves. And I just thought that was the, the stupidest thing. And I think in many ways we have examples of that. Uh, with our kids as well, where we try to basically baby, we try to baby proof the world, right? We try to create a soft, safe place, eliminate all the dangers. And all that does is when kids get to the end of their time with us and they're ready to go out on their own, they're woefully unequipped to deal with the, the challenges, the teeth and the claws and the fangs of the real world. The law of the jungle is completely foreign to them much better to world-proof your kid, right? So rather than have these suicide bars on the bridge, how do you, um, at the, the most basic level, train and equip and empower people to be self-contained so they don't have to rely on these external you know, forces to keep them in check or to, in some cases, keep them alive? So um, to me, that's, again, another service that we as dads need to do, especially for our boys, is, um, teach them, give them that graduated exposure to the jungle. Yes. You know, we don't, we don't take a, a three-year-old and have them do a, a, you know, a wilderness, you know, a solitary wilderness adventure on their own and sink or swim, but we do work up to that and we don't just baby them, you know, at, at such a protective, um, you know, overprotective level right until they're 18 and then trust that we've done our job and we've kept them safe, you know, until they, they're 18. No, 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 you've got to give them that graduated exposure so that by the time they hit the ground running, they're pretty much already used to the jungle yes. and know exactly what to do. Yes, 100%. I think we're failing in that regard collectively. Um, one of the things that, uh, I mean, obviously you talk about Third Way Man bringing uh, equal amount of love and strength to become a creator. And one of the things that you're doing with Third Way Man is if for those that are listening, especially men, and frankly women too, if you go to Brian's website, thirdwayman.com, the writing on there is, I mean, it just jumps off of the page and it grabs you like very little other else does. As a creator, how did you hone your craft in writing? Where did that come from and how did you get better at, at uh, becoming an effective writer? Well, I often say that 
quite often the most powerful gifts that we have are not a case of making ourselves do something, but it's letting ourselves do something. It's giving yourself permission to actually do what you want to do anyways. And in this case, the way that I write on the website is the way that I talk. It's the way that I think. And that's been in my head for a number of years, but I felt like that's not how a person writes copy. That's not how a person uh, writes an email or an article. And I got to a place where I was really bored and tired of writing articles and uh, sales letters and copy the right way. And I, I said, look, I, I'm an English major who has stumbled upon business. Let's have the way I talk and communicate with my audience reflect that. And so I use a a lot of metaphor. I use a lot of salty language. I use uh, very vivid uh, imagery, as you would expect a a poet and English major to write. And so, again, when I talk about finding that thing that you are uniquely equipped to do, so often it's just looking back to your past and finding those talents that you've buried or that you felt you couldn't express and manifest in your life the way that you really want to because you feel like that's not how it's done. And revisiting that and saying, you know what, screw all that. I'm just going to do what I'm what I'm wired to do and let the chips fall where they may. So it's a long way of saying that it was out of that shift that I said, you know, this could be a total flop. I could be labeled as uh, esoteric or way too abstract or this and that, but screw it. I'm just going to do it and see if there's an audience that that resonates with. And, and thankfully it has. Yeah, certainly it has. Um, in, in with respect to that, you were talking earlier about different types of men. And I think that's, I think that's a trap sometimes that this dialogue tends to, to fall into or that there are some people that fear, um, well, who are you to tell me what it is to be a man? You can be anything you want, especially in our, gender fluid culture right now uh, I was I had a dialogue on Facebook the other day where somebody said that there was a person that was born a male that transed into a female but that operated out of her masculinity and I'm like uh, like it's insane uh, I, I have love for them as a human being don't get me wrong I'll have them over for dinner we'll shoot the shit and we'll have a great conversation I bet very dynamic I love people I love to understand you know different things but man that's confusing um and I have empathy for that, but uh, I totally lost my train of thought. Where was I going with that? Um, oh, the different types of men, right? So you're putting forth a what I see as like the creator, the artist type of manhood, which is a very appealing to somebody like myself, and I think it speaks to other creators. Are you familiar with like Seth Godin? Yes, um, mm-hmm. big I mean, fan of got, Seth. He's got a ton of great content around. Get your work out there. Click, you know, push the publish button. Get it out there. Don't don't worry about it being perfect, etc. And I think that that slice of masculinity is also sorely misrepresented, underrepresented, I should say. I think men overall are a voice for men, but also within that, underneath that uh, umbrella, the the, the artist in, in specific. So I I love what you're doing, and I'm uh, fully uh, in favor of it, enthusiastic about it, but. Um, I think that's something else that other men need to think about too. Is like, what type of man are they? And so, if they gravitate, uh, that would be something I would think. Would you agree with this? Where 
like you look at what you gravitate to because I'm in some other men's group and there's definitely different there's different you know they're putting forth different types of energy um, have you read the book King Warrior Magician Lover uh, I own it I've not read it yet okay it's a great book to just say look here's four different types of archetypes I find that that's a really good book for men to read because, you know, I see what you're doing is more in that magician archetype where it's it's the, the creating and the purpose-driven stuff. And, and, you know, I'm in another group that's very warrior-heavy, which is all about action and vision and, and conquering, etc. Um, I find that to be a very useful book for men to help them better understand themselves and then also see within other men different traits, different patterns of behavior. Um, so, and then, of course, I did buy... Uh, lit and you've got some other uh, upsells on there too which are really great as well um, can you speak really quickly about what those are as well because I think those are important uh, pieces to the masculine experience sure so you know we've got some other products and courses we've got um, a course called the uh, get shit done uh, course master class uh, it's a productivity course uh, we just recently launched uh, a new uh, experiment, a new initiative called uh, Body of a Warrior, which um, basically incorporates what we think of as what ancient tribal structure would look like reimagined for today and, and harness that inherent power for men to achieve their fitness goals. So that's our newest project. We were talking about that before uh, the interview. That's our, our newest uh, project. I'm very excited about that. In many ways, I think that points the way towards the future of third way man where it's more of uh, a community and a uh, transformation platform as opposed to your your classic kind of information product business um, and so lots of great things in the works of very excited about those new directions yeah that's great we're um, pretty close on time and I want to be respectful of it on your are you okay with time or do you have a hard stop yeah I'm good okay um, well, um, what do you see as the vision of Third Way Man, for one, and then also paint us a picture of what the ideal vision looks like for masculinity in America in, say, 5, 10, 15 years? For Third Way Man, we believe that you, know, you free the man, you free the world, and that to whatever extent you can help a man, in particular a father, he's, he's got several people counting on his wholeness and his um, powerful uh, nature being reclaimed, but to whatever extent you can free up and empower a man, then there is this ripple effect that happens in his family, in his extended family, in his community. And so we feel that as opposed to a lot of these pie in the sky social movements that you know want to end world hunger or introduce world peace, to us this is a very uh, strategic very doable way that we can make a huge dent in the universe by uh, re-engaging men so that they're more uh, tuned in fathers, they've got more resources, more freedom, more power to live out their vision and are freed from a hand-to-life or a hand-to-mouth existence uh, and can actually go beyond that and create and lead and inspire uh, hosts of other people. Uh, so we think our, our main KPI is members, those that are members of the third way man community and therefore uh, availing themselves of the support that we offer to help them become more engaged and more empowered as men for all those reasons i mentioned as for masculinity uh, you talked about gender fluidity i would love 
for us to get to a place where men have the, the confidence and the courage and claim the right for themselves to adapt to all the different modalities that their life and their goals demand of them. There's a time to be a warrior. There's a time to be the magician. There's a time to be the king. And to be able to artfully weave and bob to adapt on the fly and be who you need to be without apology, I think uh, will usher in a whole new age of how men and women relate, um, how men build things, and uh, how our institutions are enriched, how our communities are strengthened. If men are freed up to be men, to not have to waste all that time and effort on explaining themselves and apologizing for themselves, then I think that'll free up uh, tremendous amounts of progress that won't serve just men, but also all the people that care about and depend on them. Yeah, that's such a profound element in full authentic masculinity, that idea of being unapologetically masculine. Because um, yep. I think it's the, it's the antidote to the shame and guilt that you were talking about earlier. Where do you think that shame and guilt comes from, and, and how can somebody get out of that? What, what's something that they could take away from this call to help them maybe get out of that? Um, that's, a, yeah, that's a loaded question. I mean, that's a hard question to answer, I realize, in a, in a short call. But is there something that somebody could do to start to take steps for being okay being themselves and not feel all that shame and guilt? Is there anything that comes to your thought of that? Well, I think to understand that as a modern man, you're in the in the crosshairs. You're kind of a victim of circumstance in a political power struggle. Okay, you've got these groups of people that have um, won a certain amount of power for themselves, and that power doesn't just get laid down voluntarily. You know, once there's a power base in play, it tends to look for ways to protect and to sustain itself. And so a lot of what men are made to feel is just propaganda that we've been fed to keep us controlled and sedated and uh, operating on just a fraction of our possibility because man is potent, man is unpredictable, man, man is a loaded gun. And for, for people that don't have control of that gun, that's, that's a terrifying thing. So the answer isn't to dumb yourself down, to neuter yourself, to fit the expectations that have been put on you. It's to throw it off and realize that what has been said does not apply to you, that if you have good intentions, that you desire to serve and love your family and the world at large and to use your gifts, then all the bullshit propaganda doesn't apply to you. Disregard it. Create your own life. Mm -hmm. That's the key to freedom and happiness and fulfillment in an age where it almost feels like that's impossible for a modern man to achieve. Yeah. Um, are you familiar with uh, Jordan Peterson? Yes. What, what's your take on him? Yeah, I love it. I consider anyone who is doing uh, the kind of work that, that we seek to do at Third Women that's helping men become more authentic and more free, more powerful, I consider them a brother in arms. So I love it. Uh, who are some of your other influences? Gosh, you know, I've, I've read, um, I usually read a hundred, couple hundred books a year, depending on the year. Um, as I said, I studied English. So, you know, a lot of philosophy, a lot of literature. I'd like to think that has given me a certain understanding for the human condition, 
to understand and be able to empathize with what it means to be human and all the the challenges and, and darknesses that that can entail. Um, other than I read very widely business, you know, psychology. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that I admire. Uh, like I mentioned, Jordan Peterson. There's a lot of um, uh, great things being said in the podcast space as well. I haven't gotten too into podcasts, but uh, some of what Grant Cardone says. Um, I've recently kind of rediscovered uh, Ed Milet. Uh, you know, anyone that is seeking to uh, and modeling kind of man unchained and man who's given himself permission to go full bore on his dreams. I love that and support it a thousand percent. I agree. I do too. I feel like, um, as you mentioned earlier, I, I don't remember the exact words that you said, but a, an empowered man creates a free world. What, is that? Yeah, I like, yeah. that's a great way to say it. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think this, I think to some degree it, it works in, you know, I know, I know some women leaders who are helping women be better, more empowered leader. And, you know, they say the same thing, an authentic, empowered woman creates a free world as well. And I, you know, I think, I think as a culture, we're looking at masculine and feminine as sort of this adversarial relationship, which one is better, which one is, and it's, it's immature in my mind. It's like in the true, authentic, mature, developed form, both the masculine and the feminine, both man and woman, it, it's a partnership. It's a partnership that elevates and and I think we need to have we need to speak into that more and how I mean obviously we're in the space you and I are both in that space of like how to help men get recentered on their you know in their backbone but do it in a way that is open hearted and loving and and benevolent um, but how does that then therefore relate to women because that is our life you know uh, men and women are, you look at the you look at the political you know. The two, the, the two political parties, and one represents more feminine qualities, one represents more masculine qualities, and there's a debate over which one is better, and I keep thinking, like, no, how do we complement each other? If we look at, of course, of course we need to protect, of course we need a military, of course we need those things, but you know what, of course we need to be empathetic, of course we need to uh, help those in need and, and those who are, you know, been harmed, etc. So, like, those are not opposing ideas you know we need to come together on things like that so um but i do agree with you that that helping men stand on their own two feet and and, and not feel that guilt allows them the strength to to help those in need and to do the things that i think a lot of liberal perspectives are saying hey we're we're losing on these things i think an mm -hmm. empowered, benevolent third way man speaks into that and serves that exactly yep um well, I have, uh, I mean, I, there's a whole host of other things that I'd love to talk to you about, but I do know that we, we have a little bit of a time constraint. Um, so why don't we wrap it up here? But um, Brian, thank you so much for your time today. Is there any parting words or thoughts? I mean, obviously, if somebody wants to know more about you, they can go to thirdwayman.com. Um, any other resources or any other uh, closing ideas? You know, we have a you know, social media presence, but you can find all that pretty straightforward third way man on instagram and facebook and whatnot the the website is is the home base for everything um parting thought would just be you know you know i love the work that you're doing like i said you know I, um anyone who's looking to serve men uh is a brother in arms so i consider you uh, a brother in arms you know I, I love the work that you're doing 
And I think for your listeners, just to say, uh, if I could sum up into one thing, just to just to take the time and give yourself the permission to get back in touch with what makes you alive, because that's not just something that benefits you. It's something that has the potential to uh, blaze a path of, of freedom for yourself, for your family, that uh, you you have thousands, tens of thousands, millions of, th- of potential fans and customers that will never get to experience the value that you have to offer the world if you don't take the time to get back in touch with that raw, real part of you that has those buried talents that you've not felt you have the logistical uh, you know, freedom or the, the right timing to, to deal with. Take the time to do that, not just for you, but for your audience and everyone that is waiting to be blessed by your gifts. Spoken like a true English major. <laughs> Come by it honestly. <laughs> Brian, thanks again. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate it.